I can't tell you how many CEOs tell me, well, we know it's going to suck for two and a half years, but then I'll be fine. And it's like, why on earth when people aren't, when people are truly anxious about what's going on in the company, they are, their productivity is way low. So why would you give up all of that revenue and opportunity just because you're not afraid to tackle it? Welcome to the Fueling Deals Podcast, the podcast that teaches how to accelerate your business growth through all types of deals. It's time to fuel up, so buckle in with your host, Corey Kupfer. There are only two ways to grow your business, organically through sales and marketing and providing great products and services, and inorganically through deals. Too many companies focus only on the first way, organic growth. Welcome to the podcast, which will help accelerate your business growth inorganically. My guests are a huge variety of deal makers and experts on all types of deals who have personal experience that can help you grow, get clear, learn best practices, and avoid mistakes. We discuss everything from large, complex mergers and acquisitions to smaller deals that you can do even without significant capital. My guest today is Dr. Rachel Headley. Rachel is the CEO of Rose Group International, a company that specializes in problem solving by providing best-in-class organizational efficiency coaching and training to address the challenges around teamwork, productivity, time management, and retention so leaders can better harness the energy of their people to achieve aspirational and transformational goals. Headley is a Mensa PhD scientist and former operational science officer of the Landsat Satellite Mission. She's a Mensa member and TEDx and keynote speaker, a Forbes coach, a member of the Hero Club, and a trustee to SDSU, a choral singer, and a global citizen. Rachel, welcome to the program. Thanks. That's always exhausting to listen to. <laughs> no, I, 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 lo- I, I love how people read, uh, you know, relate to their own bios. It's funny. I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, I, I, obviously your background is super impressive. Um, one of the things I, I really relate to is the last thing in your bio, which says that you're a global citizen. I, uh, I know uh, in 1999, 98, 99, I started doing trips uh, to various places. I was in Ghana, Uganda, India with a hunger project when I used to be very active there. And, uh, and I won't go into that whole story because this podcast is not about that. But um, I will say that uh, I, I came back from my first trip in Ghana. And what I, always, what I said to people, and it was true for me, and it's been true ever since, is that I redefined myself as a global citizen. I think it's important. And actually, it's hard to leave that behind uh, as a, once you have that perspective, because it does color um, a lot of how you see the world and all the news that you're dealing with and, and frankly, the deals that you're doing. No question about it. No question about it. So listen, before we get into uh, you know, what you do now and how it impacts deals, I want to take you back. And when you were a little girl growing up, what did you want to be? Because my guess is, uh, you know, a consultant uh, in the uh, in the space you're in might not have been it when you were whatever five, six, seven, eight years old. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm convinced that I'm doing what I'm doing now as it is. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, you know, I am. Um, this will get more into what we talk about later. But you know, as I've discovered as I got older, I have a thousand interests, and I love doing something different every day. And that's not really conducive to you know, the what do you want to be when you grow up kind of conversation. And I always thought I was something wrong with me because I didn't figure out what it was. Um, But I would have to say that I've always loved space and I actually wanted to be an astronaut. And I tried to do a end around into that by doing my satellite work 
uh, with the NAT, it's a NASA USGS program. So I actually did get to do a little bit of what I wanted to be, just in a different way. Uh, that's great. And uh, and one more question before we get to the present: what what was your first real business? However, you define that. My first real business was about five years ago. I was, I have never been an entrepreneurial dreamer, and I've always thought entrepreneurs were kind of jackasses. Um, and so we could talk about how that's changed. But um, I never really had a passion for business. And so that's why it's so interesting to find myself, um, find myself here. Okay, great. So let's, let's talk about where you find yourself. So uh, talk a little bit, you know, just give us a, a minute or two on, uh, on, on what you do in general, and then we'll, you know, talk about how it relates to deals. Well, what we do in general is we actually help teams work. Like we prioritize people, and we get things done. And so we love people. Uh, that's part of who we are. And what we see now, though, is a real disconnect between the executives in a company and their people and what they need to do to get things done. And we know we need each other, but man, we sure try hard not to get along sometimes. And so it's <laughs> really tricky, though, because we're not like group hug people. We go in and we actually help people with organizational efficiency because almost every problem we have in our companies has to do with people. And what we think for some reason, we, we, we can't fix that. Uh, it's absolutely not true. We can absolutely um, have, help people get along in a way that, is, uh, that no one's really helping people with. And that's really what we do. We, whether it's an executive team that's misaligned, whether it's people that, you know, a team that can't deliver on time, whether it's inner department fighting, um, we, we can help pull that stuff off. So I love it. So, so many companies have those issues, right? Just, you know, in, in general, whether it's, you know, the, the various issues you've talked about or all kinds of other issues in terms of uh, how people work together. Yep. And now on top of that, they do a deal. Oh my gosh. They do a merger. They, they, they do an acquisition. They do, they onboard a big team. They do some sort of, uh, you know, joint venture where their people have to work together with other people. And now you've compounded the problem, right? So uh, talk to us about that. Well, as you know, everyone that wants deals to happen, they want to take one company and add one company and have the equivalent of three companies worth of outputs and productivity and, and all that to leverage each other's talents and skills. And what always happens is productivity totally tanks. And, and the reason that happens is because no one really approaches those transitions in a way that allow their people to thrive. Um, you know, the, the executive teams work on these deals sometimes for years with all the due diligence required and the legal and the financial and all of that stuff. But like the two months before it happens, um, or it looks like the deal's going to close, then they start talking to their people about it. And then they expect their people to jump right on board as fast as they did, even though it took them two years to get to the place where they feel comfortable moving forward. So that, and then everyone just panics. Nobody knows whose job is safe. We're always afraid to tell them too much. So nobody knows whose job is safe. Nobody knows what the future is going to look like. Who's going to have their job? Who's not? What, who do I have to work with? We're, we're partnering with uh, a firm from India. What does that mean? Who are those people? How do they work? So it's just, we don't, it just totally tanks. And that's one of the main reasons I would argue that deals that have a huge amount of potential underperform. So I, I'm super excited, uh, pocket, fueling podcast listeners, because you know you, you've anybody who follows this podcast has heard us raise this issue in the past. Whether it's me, uh, whether it's some of the investment bankers we've had on, 
you know, we're all great at identifying and saying, hey, cultural fit, hey, integration, you know, post-merger integration is crucial. You know, you probably heard me say that I can draft the best legal agreement in the world, but if you can't figure out how to work together, it's not going to work out, right? Oh, my gosh. But to date, but to date uh, listeners, we haven't had somebody on yet who has actually told us, well, okay, you've identified the problem, but how do you solve it? So, Rachel, how do you solve it? <laughs> how do you actually pull it off, right? Well, exactly. the first thing you got to do is understand how people work. And the, the primer here, I'll just give you the, you know, the 10% story, is that the biggest thing about change that people freak out about, and you and I love, right? Corey and Rachel are chaos people. We love different things. We like different kinds of challenges. We like different deals. We like ex- exploring new ideas. That's how we work. Uh, but we're actually outnumbered by the people that despise that. They, most people prefer an orderly progression of things. They want to know what's happening. They want to, if you come with a new idea, they want to understand how it's going to impact them and how long it's going to take, how long the chaos is going to last. And that's a really key understanding for people because if you don't get that basic connection that the rest of the people in your team are going to dig their heels in unless they know a certain amount of information, then you're going to be fighting them every step of the way. So that's the first thing is to figure out who is on your team. We have an assessment that we do. And uh, whether it's you're probably a fixer, I'm a fixer, you might not be a fixer. Lawyers are trickier. Um, But I'm a fixer, which means I love people. I love problem solving. And uh, a lot of people are stabilizers, which means that they love order and they like predictability. And so, man, they're going to fight change all every step of the way. And there's strategies around how you can get them on board. Organizers and independents are also on the, in the mix. And so what, the different thing that we do for you is that we can actually assess all of your people and then we put them all on a graphic so that you can see that Corey's actually more order tolerant than Meg, who's my business partner. Or, or Susie, the admin, is more stable than Bob, the ops guy. And once you start laying these people out on this graphic and seeing where they fall, you can immediately start telling, okay, that's going to be a problem. Oh, that's going to be a challenge. Oh, these guys aren't going to get along. How do we get these guys on board? It's incredibly informative once you start understanding how people are going to react to change. So that that's brilliant, and and uh, and I think you're right. I mean, people, you know, if they focus on integration at all, it's well down the road. Oh, yeah. So uh, you know, let me. I mean, I, I think the answer to our listeners should be obvious, but I'm going to ask the question just so you can really say it. You know, <laughs> what stage of the what stage of the process should either acquirers, uh, certainly the acquirer, you know, uh, get you involved? You know, from like yours involvement. Well, of course, the, the, the real answer is as soon as possible. Right. Uh, right. But at the end of the day, you know, you have to know the deal is going to happen or have some very high confidence that the deal is going to happen. Because the last thing you want to do is spin up everybody and then the deal doesn't work. So, right. you know, and that's tricky. So because every deal is a little different, you know, like you were saying in your intro, some deals are huge and some deals are small. So you got to kind of know the deal is going to happen. But and, and actually, the great thing about. M&A is that a lot of folks that deal with mergers and acquisitions on a regular basis, they see this happening. So they're much more likely to call us earlier than say, okay, what's our pre, we have a, we have a pre-merger process where we come in and we look at both teams that are involved, 
How are they going to work together? Because, you know, a lot of people put the org chart together, but they don't really understand who the humans are on the org chart. So figure out who's on that org chart, who's going to be integrated. And then we, we create a strategic plan for the executives to actually roll out who's going to, what words should you say or not say? Um, how much should you tell or not tell, depending on who's in your team? If you have chaos people in your team, they want a, a part in the creation of this new world that you're creating, but order people want to understand what the plan is. And so those are two very different approaches to dealing with integration based on who your people are. So a lot of people, though, call us in triage mode after they've got the deal done, they're three months in and everything is chaos. And that's also OK. We're lo we love to help fix that because then it's incredibly satisfying. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the sooner the better uh, or the sooner the, the less um, damage, I would say. Um, we, we're kind of preventative in that way, but we can also be uh, restorative also. Yeah, but obviously it's better to be preventative than restorative, and that, and that's what I figured. You know, you would say, and it's you know, and it's interesting for me. Listen, uh, you know, I'll admit I, I'm fortunate to have built a great team in in my companies, um, but but listen, people are different, and I think that's the important thing. I mean, I can't tell you how many times that my uh, you know assistant office manager, I have somebody who runs my entire life and business, <laughs> you know, uh -huh. uh, Dawn, and, and and I can't tell you how many times I you know I'll say to her, yeah, yeah well, let's just get this done, and she'll say. You know, the the thing is, we have the kind of relationship where she can do this. She'll say to me, do you realize there's 17 steps in what you just asked me to do? So it's going to take a little time. And I'm like, you know, because I'm not, I'm not that, I'm the visionary. I'm the, you know, I'm that classic entrepreneur, right? You know. Yeah, um, the chaos guy. And, uh, yep. Yeah, you know, all right, so that's what I am, in, right, in your framework, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, and thank God I have somebody like her who's an order person who, who realizes there's 17 steps involved and is also, you know, has the has the space of permission because that's the way the culture I created, you know, to, to back me up and, and, and let me know, you know, Hey, no, this won't be done in an hour. We need to, we need a week, you know, we need a month, whatever. Like, okay, I, I got it. And I'm smart enough to know that, you know, uh, uh, who I am and, and, you know, and I take that input. Um, but, uh, you know, and that's on a day to day basis. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, but right. all the things, you know, I'm amazed at, you know, so even when companies, so companies underestimate integration in all ways, yes. Uh, not just in terms of people, but I think they skip most of it. I mean, you know, they'll put together the joint marketing plan. Uh, they'll put together the technology integration plan. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, you know, they'll do some of the other integration plans, but they so frequently do not have people integration plan. They just figure it's going to work out. Well, what they figure is it's going to suck for a long time and they'll just get through it. Right, 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 right. The soldier through. Right. It's almost like in, in change generally, and whenever you're going through a transition, whether it's an internal reorg or even a, a, a scrub of your marketing strategy or rebranding, you know, I can't tell you how many CEOs tell me, well, we know it's going to suck for two and a half years, but then I'll be fine. And it's like, why on earth when people aren't, when people are truly anxious about what's going on in the company, they are their productivity is way low. So why would you give up all of that revenue and opportunity just because you're not afraid to tackle it? And man, they don't, I don't tell them about them being afraid because that wouldn't resonate clearly because they're not afraid of anything. What they think is that they can't fix it. They think it's an unmanageable problem. So then they just have to write it out. And that's really not true at all. 
Yeah. And then, and then you get advice like, you know, that is overly simplistic, right? That it's like, oh, okay, what you got to do in a merger is that the people who you're cutting, like you got to do it in one big swoop because this way, you know, it alleviates the, you know, they can say everybody, hey, we made our cuts, everybody who's here is still here and alleviates the fear on that, which I'm not saying is not necessarily, you know, a good approach at sometimes, but it, but it's just like drilled down to very simplistic advice. Right. And people don't have a complex, you know, or a, 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 let's say a more nuanced and, and, you know, planned out and strategic approach to it. Well, and that is a real difference too. Like we are not, we're not the bobs on office space. You know, we're not going to come in and, and recommend firing anybody. Uh, we come, we're the people that make the team that you have, they're going to sing and they're going to thrive and they're going to actually achieve things that shock you in a good way. And so that's the, and that's the other thing to know about change is that, if you can get all, everyone on board with change in a productive and strategic way, there's a, there's a time where people have kind of let go what they had, like the, they let go of the old imagery and the old, you know, the way things were, and they start looking forward together. And if there's a time in there, we call it the innovation phase, and that is the most creative time that your team's going to have. So they're going to be willing to let go of the old IT architecture. They're going to be willing to let go of the old brand and look forward to a new brand. And so they're going to be willing to let those things go. And that's the most creative time that your team will ever have. And that's one of the real tragedies is that most CEOs and executive teams throw that away by just saying, we're going to gut out this change. And we know it's going to suck. They, they just throw away the opportunity to, to leverage the creativity of their people during this very critical time. So instead of gutting it out and hoping that the, um, you know, that the merger performs, they can actually leverage the people in a way that they uh, would miss out on otherwise. Uh, that's great. So, so listen, you've alluded to it, but why don't we just lay it out for our listeners so they fully understand? Because I, I, I think I, I think I really like this framework that you've got, right? So, talk to me about the the different. What are all the different people in that framework? The chaos people, the order people. So, lay out the whole framework for us so we understand. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Great idea. So, we call it culture types because what we really are measuring is how people like to work. What kind of work environment they can thrive in or that stresses them out on the other hand. So what we have is we have two axes. One is chaos to order, which we've talked about a little bit. The other axis is, it's a quadrant. So the other axis is team to self. So some of us are more self-driven. We don't uh, need a team around us. We can go in an office and work our butts off, uh, and not talk to any other humans and be totally fine with that. And, and, and in fact, some people prefer not to Absolutely, talk to other humans, right? right? <laughs> and that doesn't necessarily mean introverted. It really means that if they have to make a decision that everyone else is going to not like, they're okay with that. Some people are yeah. paralyzed about decision making because they want everybody to be happy. So that's yeah. kind yeah. of the that's kind of the, the range. And so what we do is we've taken and to, to get a little nerdy about it, we basically based it on the same research that Myers Briggs and Disc and all the other things you've ever heard about are based on. Um, it's a psychological work from the 1920s, but what we did is they seem to kind of miss the mark when it comes to actually pulling things off. So if I know my neighbor is one color or the other and I get 50 people in the room, I can't use that information at all to make the team work better. So we decided to create this assessment so we can actually, like, what is business today? Business is all about understanding your people and knowing that your people are your greatest asset, prioritizing your people, and constant change. So what assessment could we create that would actually reflect 
who your people are in that way and actually help you as the leader have a better team, motivate better. Everyone says you should, you should have a resilient team. Well, freaking great. But how do I know how to do that if I don't know who's, who, they, who the people are on my team? So it's really a way to problem solve with your people in a way that no one else really does. That's good. So, so, so give us a couple of, just a couple of specific examples. I'm sure like there's a million, you know, uh, things that I'm sure you do for the different types of people, yeah. but just so, you know, if you have somebody who's more of an order person, who's, you know, more self-oriented or whatever, right. in whichever example you want to use, sure. like what are some of the tips on how you would prepare them and have them be in the best position to integrate, uh, you know, on a, on a deal or a merger, that kind of stuff? Well, one great example uh, that we just worked on a group in Atlanta with is they have a, a fixer, which is a chaos uh, team person. They had a, a yep. chaos person named, we'll name him Matt. So Matt uh, was uh, a chaos guy. He was always had great ideas, always working hard at new new stuff. And then they've got their, and he was the chief operating officer. Their chief marketing, marketing officer uh, was a woman, uh, call her Linda. She was, uh, is a stabilizer, which is, She's team oriented, but she's very much order, order tolerant. So what happens is they laid out a plan for an acquisition and they laid out a plan in like August for a, like a nine month due diligence process and certain things were going to hit at certain times. That was kind of a straw man they built for planning. And so here's Matt going out and he's changing things and talking to people and he's changing the schedule in his mind because he's a chaos guy, always looking for opportunities. And, but he didn't communicate that he was doing things slightly differently than the plan. And so at a certain point, uh, let's say January 1st, the chief marketing officer embarked on a huge, on a huge project to rebrand knowing they were going to bring on this other company. Well, come to find out that all of that got delayed by something they discovered. And so she wouldn't have had to do that work at all for like six months, but he didn't communicate that to her. And she goes by the plan. She's a stabilizer. She's a plan person. She follows the thinking plan. If you give her one January, she's going to start one January. And so what ended up happening was she had to totally scrap a bunch of work. They wasted a bunch of time and money. They were pissed at each other because the ops guy's like, you know, this is a dynamic environment. We can't stick to the plan. But the woman's like, you gave me a plan. So right. no, one's, no one's nefarious here. Uh, at all. No one's trying to drive each other crazy. It's just, we're all super busy. We're all super stressed. Some of us are having more fun than others, but, but um, everyone's busy. And so a lot of people don't think that other people think differently than them to that degree. They just expect that each other kind of gets how they think. And that's when things can go really wrong. And so that creates hard feelings that creates ego problems. And so you got to, so what we do is we go in and we sort of, we break the way they've been communicating. And we start talking about, you know, Matt, every time that you have a, a significant change that's going to affect Linda, just let her know, man. Just drop her a text. And he's like, right. oh, I didn't realize I had to do such a thing. Or Linda, just check in with Matt before you go do the thing on the schedule. And so they don't even realize that these things are at the crux of what's going on until we start working through some of them. Love it. I love it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I it, you know, like I said earlier in the podcast, um, so many of us can identify this issue, but I've met very few people who really understand how to solve it. And it sounds like you really understand how to solve it, which is, which is a huge um, benefit for companies going through it because you're right. I mean, 
there's a big difference between saying, hey, we'll suffer through this for two years and figure it out in the end, uh, and, you know, and, and being proactive around it and getting the team to really work well. So uh, it's, uh, it's good stuff. Yeah, it's so, and it's and it, it can change in an instant, right? So this is the other the other mystery to people is they think change has to be hard. It takes a long time, blah, 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 all the things, and and it's because we've been taught that, right? It's because just to your point, no one really knows how to pull it off. So it always does stink. It's always hard. It's always miserable. But what we've seen is with that example, that executive team, everyone's in it. They all recognize that they got to succeed or fail together. And so once you can show people that it's not about me and you, it's not about Rachel and Corey and not liking each other. It's about Corey just works differently than Rachel does. And so what can, what's the tiny little things, adjustments we can make to make everybody work better together? And literally the, like that day, by the time we walked out of the room, people were like, oh my God, it's like we were in therapy, group therapy, you know, <laughs> because we're making them talk about things in a way that they've never had to think about them before. But it's so enlightening. And literally months later, you know, so much training that we do. This is why I resist being called a leadership company because so much leadership training doesn't actually solve problems for you, you know? And so week, weeks, months later, I touched base with them. I worked with these guys in January and I just talked to them a couple days ago, which is why they're top of mind. And they were like, we have changed the way we work together. And I literally spent six hours with their executive team. And so once you understand it, people are smart. These, you know, executives are smart. They want the tools. And man, once you show them something that works, they're going to take it and run. So, uh, I mean, I'll start this conversation, but you can, you can finish the sentence. So, you know, obviously it seems to me the benefits of your work are, uh, I'm sure, better retention of key people, uh, better satis- job satisfaction, uh, more productivity, certainly after, certainly after a deal because the productivity drops significantly. Um, keep going. What, what, what else have I missed on the benefits of uh, what happened? <laughs> Well, you know, there's so many, those are great. And so many of those are bottom line. You're going to make more money. You're going to have greater revenue. Your customers are going to be well taken care of because if everyone internal to the company is really on board and excited to be there, your customers are absolutely taken care of. There's so much focus on, you know, CX customer experience. It drives me crazy if they just focus on their IX or internal experience, all of those problems go away. Um, you know, but there's a lot of intangibles too that aren't necessarily bottom line related. Things like uh, the CEO doesn't have to deal with drama, like closed door. Oh my God, the CMO is driving me crazy, blah, blah, blah. Like imagine if you could actually work on the things that you want instead of all the things that show up at your door. You know, I mean, so there's those kind of intangible things and we don't talk about happiness at work. Like that's great. That actually happens. But our goals are all business. Like, how do we actually get you working on the things that you need to do? And this is just a small part. That's just a small part of the win. Well, listen, Rachel, I, I, as I said to you in the pre-interview, it's great. You know, listeners, we're, we're, Rachel and I are just starting to get to know each other. She was referred from some trusted people that I know. And, uh, and for me, it's great to have her not only on the podcast, but also uh, I'm looking forward to building a relationship because what you do is so crucial. And obviously, for a lot of my clients that, you know, we do so many deals, uh, you know, it's, a, it's an opportunity to have another resource that will really serve them. So I am excited about getting to know you and I appreciate having you on the podcast. Um, I'm sure uh, our listeners have gotten huge value so far. So uh, and they're going to want to reach out and figure out, uh, you know, how they can get more value from you. So uh, what's the best place for them to, to reach you? Where can they find you? 
I am on LinkedIn all the time. So if you look for Dr. Rachel M.K. Headley, you're going to find me. Um, the other things we have, a, we have a book that uh, outlines kind of the basics of the assessment and, and how it's used in a leadership context. It's a book called IX Leadership. It's on Barnes & Noble, online. It's on Amazon. So, and it's ixleadership.com. You Google me, you'll find me. Uh, would love to talk to anybody about it. Super excited to always make connections. I'm a chaos person, so call me out of the blue. Uh, love, <laughs> love it, love it. So my final question that I ask everybody in the podcast is, uh, you know, authenticity is one of my highest values, and it's, it's a reason my book's called Authentic Negotiating. <laughs> and for me, authenticity is not about, and, and, and uh, by the way, one of my talks is Authentic Business Deals. It's all about authenticity is key for me. And for me, authenticity is not about external morals or, uh, you know, ethics, although, you know, those things are, uh, ethics are important. It's, it's really about alignment with internal truth, right? It's about running, living our lives and running our businesses from a place that aligns uh, with truly who we are. And I think that that actually ends up aligning us with a more universal truth. That's just my view. Um, I'd love to hear your view on authenticity and how it impacts uh, you in, in, in life and business and, and how you sustain and, and achieve it if it's important to you. Well, you know, it's funny. I love that authenticity is kind of your gig because we are the epitome of what you see is what you get people. And mm. it's actually what people love about us. We we actually talk about unspoken conversations and how that destroys companies because if you're not yeah. willing to have a conversation that's authentic and even if it's, if you don't address things when they're small, they, that's the crap that gets big and unwieldy. And so, you know, we grew up, uh, my, I say we, um, me and my COO, we started, we founded the company together and we grew up on a ranch and a farm on the Great Plains. And there's just no, we don't pussyfoot around. We're truth tellers. We're not jerks about it, but you know, we are absolutely all of that. We don't, uh, we don't uh, tell you what we think you want to hear. Uh, we tell you what you need to hear. And that's, you know, it's just, I don't know how to, uh, any other way to live. You know, we hear about authenticity all the time and we kind of scratch our heads because we just don't know any other way. So I guess I'm probably the, I'm probably a little naive about that. I probably should be more politically savvy and, and tell people what they, what they want to hear and that kind of stuff. But this is not how we are. No, I love that. I love that. And listen, I'm sure that's why people, I, I believe people are dying for authenticity, even if they have trouble bringing it and, you know, and, and companies talk about it a lot, but they don't necessarily operate that way. And, right. but, but I do think fundamentally at a human level, we're dying for it. So I'm sure that's why one of the many reasons why you resonate with your clients. Mm -hmm. That's great. Well, uh, listen, uh, I am so thrilled to have had you on the show. Uh, thank you for bringing so much value to our listeners. Corey, thanks for having me, man. I love talking about this stuff, so I appreciate the opportunity. And thank you, Fueling Deals listeners, for tuning in. Remember, there's only one difference between companies that grow inorganically and those that don't. And it's unrelated to size, amount of capital, or any other factor, other than that the owners and executives of companies that do deals make a decision to do deals and then they take action. Well, it's time to refuel. So until next week, Corey Kupfer signing out. Thank you again for tuning in. Be sure to leave Fueling Deals a rating and review on iTunes and Google. Check out all our episodes at fuelingdeals.com to find out more resources to accelerate your business growth.